Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Wednesday morning, May the 13th in 2020 on When I Rise. We're in year A in the sixth Sunday of Easter, and on Wednesdays we like to take the extra text of the week when we have the weekly liturgy. The What we've been doing through the season of Easter is going through that extra uh, section that they've been providing in the book of Acts. So we're going to be in the uh, book of Acts, chapter 17. Uh, verses 22 through 31. This is when Paul is preaching courageously in Athens, and we're going to read that passage, and I'll provide a couple thoughts on it, and it'll ultimately steer us to a time of praying over a New Testament text this morning. But thanks for making this party morning on Winter Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and meet God together in a time of prayer. Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 31. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant to the very thing you worship, and that this is what I'm going to proclaim to you today. The God who made the whole world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, or that he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day where he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given us proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. This is the word of God for us. In this passage, Paul finds himself in Athens, and Athens was a very spiritual place. In fact, there's an old funny saying, whether it was true or not, uh, it said that in Athens you would bump into a God before you'd bump into a human being. Uh, these were spiritually attuned people. They were searching for something. And Paul, as he's wandering uh, among their idols, he meant, sees, and as he mentioned in our text today, that there's even an altar to a God that they don't know, <laughs> just in case they, they missed one. They didn't want to make anybody mad for snubbing them, right? So here Paul sees an opening, and he is preaching, and this is not an easy format to preach in. This is a very hostile environment. In his crowd, we know that he has Stoic and Epicureans who are on different sides of a spectrum in regards to a few, a few core beliefs that we have about religion. And so Paul is walking through a landmine, a rhetorical landmine, as he preaches Christ. And how brilliantly he preaches Christ, and he bears witness to what Jesus has done. At the heart of his sermon is that before we decided to do anything of approaching God, God was approaching us, and he set out markers and boundaries for all peoples, that this God has been before us, he's been above us, and he will be here after us. But then he doesn't stop there. 
He says that God's also among us, that if we actually could reach out, we might be able to apprehend this God. We might be able to embrace this God. And he calls us his offspring. A couple things that he does here that I find extremely provocative. Number one, because he knew that these folks were not familiar with the Old Testament text, he doesn't use the Hebrew Bible to bear witness to Christ, but he actually uses the philosophy and the poems and the songs of their own culture. Paul has this view of God, that God, if he's above everything, if he's among us, then truth is popping up in places where we seek it. All truth is God's truth. <laughs> I guess the Apostle Paul is one of the first uh, you know, folks who believed in a liberal arts education, and uh, he was able to be in tune enough to what was going on in their culture, hear the echoes of God in their poems and their songs, and so he wasn't afraid to bear witness or point towards Christ uh, among the things that they've already been familiar with, that they already heard. Uh, but Paul does give a challenge. He says, whether we like it or not, we are idol-making factories, as a Christian theologian said. And you've been popping out these idols because you want to worship something. Well, in the past, God overlooked all this ignorance in our lives, this making up of idols to try to give ourselves some sort of a peace that we have you know, some sort of purity that we're, uh, you know, making sacrifices to the right gods and, and appeasing them. He says, God overlooked that in the past, but now he's judging the whole world and he's making that judgment and mercy count in the one that he's vindicated from the dead. Now, this is a challenging statement because his audience would not have been so keen upon the idea of bodily resurrection. In fact, uh, some scholars suggest that one of the first plays that was presented in the Areopagus, where Paul's preaching his sermon, one of the punchlines, one of the funny lines of that was that uh, they belittled this idea of coming back to life. And so here Paul is so in tune to culture and so ready to give, to bear witness and to give such a thoughtful critique of culture that he says, actually, there is one who's been brought back from the dead and he's the judge and Lord of the whole world. Therefore, we must turn to him and worship him. So what can we say about Paul's trip to the Areopagus? Well, in nearly every chapter of the book of Acts, there is a miracle, except for in Acts chapter 17. There's not a, a, a you know proto-miracle that we'd see of raising the dead, uh, opening up blind eyes, uh, giving a prophecy, casting out a demon. None of those happen in Acts 17, but perhaps his, his bearing witness of Christ is a miracle of sorts. He's able to enter into a quagmire, uh, just a majpaj of belief systems, and still make much of Christ. And man, do we need that type of miracle today. So I'm going to pray for a boldness and a wit like the Apostle Paul to be baptized upon the church today so that we can be bold witnesses for Christ in a very complicated and confused day such as ours. So let's spend some time praying this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I thank you today that you're a good and generous God. We thank you that as this passage shows that you've been before us. You're the God who brought everything into being and that you've opened up ways for us to search for you. And we thank you that as Paul made mention to the, those who are listening to his sermon, that you're near to us and that we should seek you. God, there's also a warning in this text and we understand it once again that we are idol-making factories, that we try to give ultimate authority and ultimate meaning to things that don't deserve it. Um, idols do operate on borrowed power and we allow money and fame and notoriety and beauty and um, appearance to have 
such a hold over our lives, thinking that it's going to bring us some sort of satisfaction, some sort of salvation. God, I thank you that none of those things add up to the one whom you've raised from the dead. God, I thank you that you're the God who's merciful, who has shown forbearance because we've been an ignorant people. But God, I thank you that in this day that you've turned a light on, and that light on is Christ. And we thank you that you are setting him up to be the one judge of the world, and you prove this by raising him from the dead. So God, during this Easter season, we bow the knee to Jesus. We celebrate Jesus and his resurrection. God, we thank you that this is a season of jubilee where the captives can go free. God, we thank you that you've given us freedom in Christ today. God, I pray for a boldness and for a wit to wash over the people of God. Lord, in this chaotic moment, this confusing moment, where perhaps people are searching for an ultimate answer, I pray that we would not be people who are super judgy and who are um, harsh critics of those and their doubts. God, I pray that you give us the mind of Christ, that you give us the heart of Christ, that we would hear your command today, that we could be merciful to those who doubt. And Lord, I pray that your kindness would lead many to repentance. So God, I pray that just like Paul, we'd find ourselves in the middle of the discussion of the world. And I pray that we might be able to hear the echoes of the holy in all things, and that we might be able to use those things with the grace that you give us, the wisdom that you give us, to point to Christ, to be curators of a museum pointing to where God has been present in people's lives and communities' lives, that a light would turn on, that their hearts would open, and they would embrace Christ today. God, we pray that this would be a season of salvation where people find rest in Christ and their encouragement in Christ and that you would see many captives set free today. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.